I uh, want to talk this morning about great expectations. Great expectations. A couple of years ago, I'm going to refer to my oldest son uh, several times in, in, in the message this morning because he's going to be departing uh, in just under three weeks uh, for an internship that's going to keep him in Washington, D.C. Uh, for, for seven months starting the, the middle of uh, July. So, uh, you know, before he leaves, I'm just going to, you know, just, just kind of, I think I'm using him in mostly positive uh, illustrations. I'll have to check my notes again. But uh, <laughs> one, of the, one of the experiences that he had, he, he graduated not this year, but, the, but last year, um, in senior English, he was uh, required with his class to read uh, the book Great Expectations by Charles Dickens. Uh, how many of you have read that book, by the way? Let me see your hands. Oh, a good number of you. All right. Uh, it is, for those of you that have slogged your way through uh, great expectations. It is no easy read. Now, it's not this entire thing. This, this is a handsome volume that I was given for Christmas a couple years ago um, that you'll find at Costco. Uh, and you might even want to go after service and uh, join me for the samples. But, um, but I saw these, these books, and I'm trying to go back and, um, and read some of the classics. And so I got this, and you know, Oliver Twist is, is there, and A Christmas Carol, and A Tale of Two Cities that I'm familiar with was not familiar with Great Expectations. So Great Expectations was a story that they were required to read in the same senior English. And as most of the kids, I think, did, uh, you know, they were just like, oh, uh, you know, they, they started and they were like, oh, my word, you know, how am I going to get through this? So I, I look at the book and I see that I have great expectations. And being the wonderful example of a father <coughs> that I am, I, uh, I said to Kyle, I go, oh, you can do it. I said, I'll join you and I'll read it with you. Well, I get, I get a few pages into that, into, into great expectations, and I go, wow, this is going to be a ride. This is going to be a very slow ride, and uh, it, was a, it was a very slow ride, and I knew what was happening kind of here and there, and, uh, you know, I got done, and I went, you know, I went back and, you know, read the summaries, and I went, oh, that's what that meant, and I thought, if I'm having this much trouble getting through great expectations, you know, how are the kids doing with this, and... Uh, uh, but of course, I didn't say that to my son. You know, when, when I talked to him, he was like, oh, keep your head up. It's going to be worth the journey. It's a, great, it's a great moral to this story. And the whole time I'm going, holy cow. And he's just looking at me incredulously going, Dad, why would you volunteer to read this when you don't have to? But, uh, but it, really is, um, it really is a powerful story. But like I said, it's, it's tough sledding. But it, it's a prodigal type of a story. And for those of you that haven't read it and plan to go to Costco and uh, pick it up and read, I do, I do recommend that you read some, some tough reads. But it really was a very compelling story. And I won't spoil it for you, but um, young Pip is there who's an orphan. And he had his sights set on becoming a gentleman. And a gentleman is a person of means, wealthy, you know, having a country estate and, and all that goes with it. And so he was trying to make the transformation and with some associations he was hoping that he would be sponsored and, and come into a fortune. And in fact, he was notified that someone was going to sponsor him, but it wasn't the sponsor that he was expecting. In fact, it came from a very dubious and most unexpected source and ended up going up in smoke. And some of the relationships that he had early on in life, he ended, up, he ended up taking for granted and walking away from those only in the end to come back kind of with hat in hand and fortunately was met with a great spirit of reconciliation. All right, so there's, there's the Sparks notes for you if you want to pick up the story. 
but it's a, it's a, a compelling story of the return of a prodigal. And we're going to look at that very familiar story. It's familiar for us at Horizon Community Church because really uh, the story of the prodigal son is part of our DNA here at, at Horizon Community Church. It's a place that we intentionally want to, to have people that have served Jesus and have walked away for it to be a safe place for them to come home. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today. But in essence, this is where we're going today. When we as Jesus followers are home, we have every reason for great expectations. So I pray that this morning the Lord will help us to establish some divine perspective and that the Lord will also help us regarding the position in which we find ourselves being described as home. Let's pray for a moment. Jesus, in these next few moments, I pray that you would take my simple words and your profound life-changing words from Scripture and that you will plant a seed that will bring a harvest of righteousness in our lives and will ultimately build your kingdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Great expectations. So in your notes, if you follow along, we first of all need to expect bad to happen. Expect bad to happen. You say, well, that's a really positive way, you know, to start out your message. But it's true. You know, my former boss, you know, when, when someone would say, try and be a little bit more positive. When he said, I, you know, bad things are going to happen in your life. Be a little more positive, all right? I'm positive that bad things are going to happen in your life, all right? So there you go. Expect bad to happen. Let's pick up with verse 11 of Luke 15. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to, the, to his fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Now, in the bad that happens in our life, there are things within our control, and there are also those things that are beyond our control. And bad circumstances are often those things that are beyond our control. Now, he decided that he was going to leave home, and he wanted to be paid out for his inheritance early, and uh, that was his choice. But there were some bad circumstances that took place during this ill-fated journey. Uh, bad circumstances. It was a terrible time for a severe famine, it says in the story, to happen. It's always a terrible time, isn't it, to be sent out to feed the pigs. And if you're a pig farmer, my apologies, all right? But, but may, maybe there's some things that we're missing as we look at the role of feeding the pigs. But it's not necessarily the thing that we would, would aspire to and that, you know, this young man would aspire to as he was leaving with his fortune. And the scripture says here, no one gave him anything. So circumstances beyond his control. Now, Eeyores that are in the room, prepare to say amen. When it comes to jobs, we get bad assignments sometimes, okay? Or like we talked about, being sent to feed the pigs. Unfair treatment, maybe even this week. Unemployment, layoffs, downsizing. How about the economy? Default in Europe, the mortgage crisis, 
Maybe you, maybe you invested in Facebook when they went public and that didn't go so well. Uh, the oil refinery explosion in you know, North Washington, which was the latest excuse for the gas prices going through the roof. And don't get me started on that. All right, what about weather? There's hurricanes. There's tornadoes. Pastor Stan uh, and his wife have been in Joplin, Missouri with families. And most of you know... Uh, so much of that city, I heard as much as 70% of that city wiped out by a major, major tornado. Just incredible. There's tsunamis that take place. Um, there's heat waves. Um, my son who's heading to D.C., we've been watching the D.C. weather, and it's been ugly, and he's going to be working outside a lot. Um, the sun does seem to come out, doesn't it, at the Oregon coast when you're leaving? This week, twice, I came home on Tuesday and if the weather had been crummy and sure as shooting, Tuesday afternoon, spectacular. All right, and then I come back Friday night to pick up my family who'd been playing there. And, and it was lousy weather until Saturday afternoon, lo and behold, as we're packing up and getting ready to go. All of a sudden, it's spectacular again, right? Amen, Eeyore. Amen. All right, what about health? Terrible news from the doctor. Injuries. This time a year ago. My, my uh, son Calvin was getting ready to go into surgery in just a couple of days for what's called a bucket handle tear to his meniscus, 16-year-old knee, and the tear went like this, and it was filleted open, and I remember looking at the pictures going, that should not be the knee of a 16-year-old, uh, but we had a great surgeon and great rehabilitation. He ended up playing um, a year of bas- another year of basketball at Horizon. It was a great year, and now he's in Cambodia, uh, and he's riding on an elephant. So thank you, Jesus. But, but we have setbacks. We have ongoing issues that we deal with. What about appliances? What about appliances, yours? Now, at the at the at the uh, risk of of. Uh, of uh, contradicting my pastor from a couple of weeks ago. Some of you were here when Pastor Stan was talking about tithing. And uh, he was sharing a testimony. In fact, I talked to the guy after first service um, that he started tithing and it was like all of a sudden he like had no problem with his appliances and so on. It was just this marvelous testimony. I'm thinking, yes, that's great. God can do that. And I looked at my wife. As that testimony was being shared, I looked at her and I said, we do tithe, Right. Because, I mean, we have not, our testimonies, and we, we've got testimonies when it comes to tithing, but our testimonies are not, have nothing to do with appliances, shall we say, all right? We have not had good fortune. Uh, all three vehicles in the Anderson fleet, in, including my oldest son's car, have the check engine light illuminated even as we speak, and I am putting off taking it to the doctor, all right? But we have issues, all right? So say it with me, Eeyores. Got the worst of it again, right? Uh, my son Kyle and I locked our key, you know, locked ourselves out of the house. My wife is out of town. If you're my Facebook friend, you probably saw my post. We got towed in downtown D.C., and, uh, and then we lock our keys out of the car. We have been an absolute menace to the Anderson finances. And I said to Kyle, I go, we cannot travel together anymore. <laughs> but there are, there are bad circumstances. There's also bad choices that we make. And certainly this prodigal here made some awful, regrettable choices. And there are consequences that happen with bad choices, with wild living, with careless living, with reckless living, all of which are taking us to that point of boom, where we hit rock bottom. And that's exactly where this prodigal son found himself 
is at rock bottom. Now how different it was, though, in the experience of Joseph, as we rewind back to Genesis, where Joseph was guilty of several things. He was guilty of being a dumb kid. He, he had these dreams, and he just shared them with his brothers, you know, very liberally. You know, oh yeah, really? We're going to bow down and worship you, are we? You know, so he was, he was guilty of being a dumb kid. He was guilty of being his father's favorite, a distinction that both of my boys claim. He was guilty of hearing from God in dreams and interpretations of dreams. He was guilty of moral integrity to the point where it cost him everything in the situation with Potter's, Potiphar's wife, and, the, and there may have been others. But he remained faithful. He was guilty of making the best of a prison sentence that he did not deserve. And instead of moping and groaning and singing the old hee-haw, you know, hymn, gloom, despair, and agony on me, right? Instead, he made the best of the situation and he distinguished himself and he remained faithful. He became one of the ultimate, Paul, you know, Paul Harvey. Some of you, you know, I grew up listening to Paul Harvey, the rest of the story in the news. Nobody read the news like Paul Harvey. But the rest of the story, and it was the ultimate, the rest of the story. I mean, the, you know, the ruler of Egypt. And where did he come from in his previous position? Well, he wasn't a cabinet member. He was actually, well, he was in jail, but we're moving right along. I mean, I, what an incredible story of Joseph. There were, there were circumstances that were beyond his control, but his choices remained firmly within his control. Bad circumstances, it says in your notes, coupled with consistent good choices, is a testimony in the making. Let me say that again. Bad circumstances coupled with consistent good choices is a testimony in the making. And some of you are in a situation where there are just bad circumstances and you're going, what did I do to deserve this? And I will just say to you, I don't understand it either. But if you will remain faithful and continue to make good choices, there is a testimony in the making in your life. But bad circumstances coupled with consistent bad choices is a disaster in the making. So in the midst of our circumstances, continue to make good choices. But even so, the grace of God is so amazing that despite the disaster that the prodigal son was experiencing at rock bottom, there is also a rest of the story type of a testimony here. So expect bad to happen. Okay, let's quickly move on. Expect good to happen as well. Expect good to happen. All right, so, so Eeyores, be quiet for a moment. Now Tiggers, you've been waiting patiently. Uh, good does happen, much to the surprise of the Eeyores, but good does happen. There are, there are promotions at work. There are transfers to Honolulu. You go, no way. Not even God could do that. Well, God did that for the Shores family that was, that was a part of our fellowship here. And they are now in Honolulu. And uh, last time I checked, and I did check with Pastor Stan, there were no plans uh, to plant a church or a school in Honolulu. But I'm going to keep believing God uh, for that, all right? But things like that do happen. In the economy, they're saying that the gas prices are going to keep getting better. I actually sent a text to my wife and I said, gas is $3.49 at Costco. And you know it's bad when you're celebrating $3.49. And they say it's going to get better. And I 
the spirit of Eeyore comes back over me. And it's like, oh, yeah, right. Well, I'll believe it when I see it, right? Uh, what about weather? Uh, we live in the great Northwest, which means it rains oftentimes in June, but it also means that it's not 100 degrees and 100% humidity uh, where my son is going. All right, um, health. What about health? Six years ago um, this month, uh, my mother-in-law passed away from pancreatic cancer, and uh, we had three weeks to prepare uh, for that from when she was diagnosed to when she passed away. Just... A couple of months ago, Stacy's brother Lance in Great Falls was diagnosed with some irregularities in his pancreas and was sent to the same hospital, Virginia Mason Hospital in Seattle. Not good memories of Virginia Mason Hospital with Stacy's mom. And so here we go again. And was sent there and they went in and, and, it, and uh, took the pictures and all that and saw the same things that they saw in Great Falls. And they were preparing themselves for exploratory surgery and probably what's called a Whipple procedure, and, uh, which is terribly invasive. And um, they went in one more time the night before surgery to just make sure of everything. And you know what they saw? Nothing. The Lord had miraculously healed him. Now, I don't understand why the Lord would miraculously heal Lance and not my mother-in-law. I don't know. And you maybe have experienced that as well. I know that God heals, but I also know that God sometimes chooses not to heal. And that is perhaps one of the first questions that you're going to ask is, God, why didn't you intervene? Because I had every good reason for you to intervene. And I don't know. I don't know. But I do know that we keep remaining faithful, and he knows. He knows. But God does heal. When the prayer teams come up front here, I hope you take advantage of those times when you've got a need. Because you know what? God is faithful, and he does do miracles. He does. He answers prayers, and we can seek him. But we're not always going to understand it. We're not always going to understand it. So Tiggers... Say it with me, <laughs> right? Sometimes it's good. Good things do happen, and sometimes good things happen even to bad people. And doesn't that just make you slam great expectations and go, what are you doing, God? You had a chance over here, and yet this guy gets blessed? What's that all about? It's for a season. It's for a season. But the scripture is clear. That the sun does shine on the wicked for a season. But back, back to the prodigal story now. The prodigal expected as he was, as he was turning back for home, um, he, he perhaps expected that his father, who is a good man, would give a measure of provision to him at least. Okay, I've squandered riches, but at least he would treat me like a hired hand and maybe, maybe take me in so I can at least eat what they eat. But it's got to be got better than this. He, he expected good to happen to him. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and he went to his father. So he said, okay, I'm at least going to be better off there than I am here. What he didn't expect was this. 
But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. In your notes, what he didn't expect was a joyous welcome, a celebration to end all celebrations, a lavish blessing, and full restoration. Get the ring and put it back on his finger. Get the robe, the best robe, and put it back on him. Kill the best. We're going to have the best meal, and it is party time. He had no reason or expectation for that. And the story concludes. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed a fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother rejoiced. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This story is a picture of the kind of relationship that Jesus wants to have with us. A picture of the relationships in the kingdom. And the Father says to us, just like the Father in this story, return home. Or even better, stay home. For here I am with you and everything I have is yours, the Father says. Home, very simply, is this. The place where Jesus is, and the place where Jesus wants you and I to be. That's home. It's a place that is safe, it's blessed, it's intimate, it's warm, where your name is known and where you're loved. And as Joseph, Paul, and others experienced, home can even be a dank prison dungeon. So we expect that bad's going to happen, also that good is going to happen, but number three, expect God to happen. Express God to happen. Should we have a reasonable expectation in our life that there are going to be God-inspired moments and milestones and miracles that are going to take place? And do we expect those Do we expect that God is going to happen? Well, the first thing that needs to happen is we simply need to return home. And the picture of repentance is here in this story where this wayward son has his back on home and he is embracing all that the world has to offer and he hits rock bottom and he simply turns and returns. 
That's what repentance is. That's what the Bible calls us to. We don't have to, he didn't have to clean himself up and try and make some of the money back and try and cover his tracks. He simply said, enough. That's repentance. And when we express repentance and simply return home, most people don't have the picture that we are going to receive a joyous welcome. That, that there's going to be a lavish blessing. That there's going to be full restoration that will take place when I return to the arms of Jesus. We express repentance. And then for us as believers, this is a tough area. And the Bible consistently addresses extending reconciliation. Reconciliation. A coming together of two opposing sides. And we in the body of Christ are called to be reconciled with our brothers and sisters. And it is not easy. When we are wronged, we do not want to reconcile, right? Maybe you're more spiritual than I am, all right? But it's tough. But do we have the Spirit of the Father who is taken advantage of and abandoned? Or do we have the Spirit of the Son who has reason to protest? You know what, this other son, he had a right to be angry. He was right. It's like, I've done all of this. I didn't leave home. And this other guy goes out and just, woohoo! And he comes home, and it's more, woohoo! And here I am! He's right. But do we have that spirit? Do we base it just on principle alone? Or do we base it on God's grace? Experience that I have that profoundly changed the way I see God's grace. So when I was on vacation several years ago with my family and my kids were like this and um, my oldest son Kyle, once again, will return to him, all right? We were in line, of course, at Starbucks uh, waiting, for our, waiting for our coffee at Seattle Center. And it was one of those moments where, you know, dad was tired and really needed vacation at that, at that moment. And it was one of those parent moments. I'm sure you've never had them before. God has helped me with, you know, from this, that point on. But it was one of those times where I was going to make my point and I did not care who was in Starbucks. I was going to, you know, okay. Again, you haven't been there, but just work with me here. And it was one of those times where we get our coffee and we go out and it's the Happy Andersons at Seattle Center. You know, and Dad is fuming and Kyle is fuming and we get to the fountain um, there and we're sitting there and I'm just sitting there and I'm just justifying the, you know, the way I've treated my son. Because after all, I am treating him the way his actions deserved. And there are not too many moments in my life where I know that God has directly spoken to my heart in a way that is unmistakable. And the answer was just simply, is that the way I treat you? Right? Right? Because we got to be careful here because we do not want God to treat us the way our sins deserve. We just don't. And His grace treats us lavishly, joyously when we return. Do we, do we deserve it? Absolutely not. But you know what? When we're dealing with our brothers and sisters and we're just that we are going to get hurt and we're going to hurt other people. We're going to do dumb things and they're going to do dumb things to us. And it is work to live together in community and in reconciliation. But you cannot escape it in the pages of Scripture. 
And it is so important because when we live reconciled, we forgive one another, it is a, it is a blowtorch to our world of God's revelation. When we love one another, people are going to see that and go, that makes absolutely no sense. How can you do that? How can you forgive someone? And you can only do it with divine resources. And God has called us to do that very thing, to extend reconciliation. And then expecting Jesus' returns, his return. Reverse roles for a moment. Are you and I waiting for the Son to return? Are we longing for the return of Jesus? Really? Are we? Had the opportunity to um, go to the airport before 9-11 when you could go all the way out to the gate. And we were with missionary Ken Huff as he was heading out to the mission field for his very first term. Again, boys are like this. And it was one of those moments. Uh, Ken, Ken was a hero of mine before he went to the mission field and now even more so. He's the missionary that our team is working with and he's made an absolute profound difference in the country of Cambodia. It is it's marvelous what the Lord has done. And I remember watching him walk down the jetway, getting ready to go for four years to a country he's never been to. He's raised money. He's given his life. He's prepared. And, and we said to the boys, he will not walk back on, onto Oregon turf for four years. And he has given his life in a marvelous way. But there's also another story that I heard of a missionary that was returning home overseas about the same time as President Roosevelt was. And um, returning home and the band was playing and everybody was, you know, the confetti and the red carpet and all of that. And here the president comes to this warm welcome and a missionary that had given their lives overseas came relatively obscure. And somebody asked them, he said, you know, is it discouraging to you that you've, that you've gone overseas and you've given your life and you've sacrificed so much and you come home and nobody, nobody even seems to care? Missionary had a very profound response. He said, well, I'm not home yet. Not home yet. And as was said earlier, that is true for all of us. Maybe you've been mistreated uh, misunderstood and you've sacrificed and there's been no bands and there's been no red carpet there's been no confetti and you just remember that we're not home yet because someday Jesus is coming and I hope we're watching the road for his return and I hope we're ready to give him a joyous welcome but home is the place where Jesus is and where Jesus wants you to be now as we get ready to close I want to encourage us in a specific way regarding believing God because we can believe God for miracles. And we can also believe God for whatever. And those are the last two blanks, I think, in your notes. We can believe God for miracles. Had the opportunity when I went back a couple weeks ago with, with Kyle to kind of kick the tires of the uh, opportunity that he's going to have in, in Washington, D.C. and spent some time with a, an incredible gentleman that has just lived a life of, of marvelous faith. And he actually hails from Oregon. And uh, he was a student at Willamette University back when Mark Hatfield was uh, one of the deans at Willamette. And this, this gentleman was a prodigal himself. He was a PK and walked away from the faith and was just at the point where he was like, as he was a college student, saying, you know what? Okay, Jesus, I'm just going to give this another try. And he said at that time he made a prayer list and he said, he wrote down 10 things that were absolutely impossible 
without the hand of God involved. And the first thing that was on his list, and those of you that have been around Oregon a while know, know of Mark Hatfield and know of the faith of Mark Hatfield. But at the time, Mark Hatfield had a playboy reputation. And he hadn't accepted Christ yet. And, um, and so he said that the first thing on his list was to pray for the salvation of Mark Hatfield. And he said it was a couple of months later that Mark Hatfield calls him into his office and he's like, oh no, you know, what did I do? Don't really know him and, you know, whatever. Knew of him. He was one of the student leaders. Mark Hatfield calls him into the office and said, you know what? I was in my house the other day and he said, I just got to the point where I not only got on my knees before God, but I got on my face before God and said, God, to this point in life, everything has been about me. And from this point forward, everything is going to be about you. And he said, it was in that moment that I thought of you, saying this to the student, Doug. And he goes, and I thought, you know what? I should call Doug and tell him about the decision. So he goes, so there you go. <laughs> and he's just sitting there just going, and he's, a, and he's a math major, and he's computing, you know, what are the chances that something like that could happen? And it's, it's impossible, it's miraculous. He didn't say what else was on the list. I'd like to, you know, find out what the other, you know, nine things were on his list. So he prayed, he, he said, you know what, the things that I believe God for, I just set aside 40 days, and I just beseech the Lord every day, you know, for 40 days. And that's, that's what he did in that situation, and that's what he continues to do. So I thought, you know what, okay, so I'm going to do that as well. So I recently wrote down seven things that I'm believing God for. And uh, the first thing on my list is something that is unfolding miraculously. And I, I can't tell you yet, but I'll be able to tell you soon. But God is at work in marvelous ways. And how long has it been since we have really believed God for miracles? Because we can. He is at work. We don't always understand the way he does what he does, but we know that he is at work not only for our benefit, but ultimately in building the kingdom of God. So we believe God for miracles, but we can also believe God for whatever. And when we come to the Lord, we come with a childlike faith. And I came across this, somebody, somebody sent me this email, <laughs> these are just great, you know, ways that kids are talking to Jesus. So the first one is, and you'll see them up on the screen, Dear God, Neil says, I went to this wedding and they kissed right in church. Is that okay? Or Jane, instead of letting people die and having to make new ones, why don't you just keep the ones you got now? Or Ruth, I think the stapler's one of your greatest inventions. Or Jennifer, in Bible times, did they really talk that fancy? This is my favorite. Dear God, I think about you sometimes, even when I'm not praying. Isn't that precious? Or Robert, dear God, I'm an American. What are you? <laughs> or Nan, I, be I bet it is very hard for you to love all of everybody in the whole world. There are only four people in our family and I can never do it. <laughs> Jenny, please put another holiday between Christmas and Easter. There's nothing good in there right now. Or Mickey, if you watch in church on Sunday, I will show you my new shoes. Oh, that's good. Dear God, maybe Cain and Abel would not kill each other so much if they had their own rooms. It works with me and my brother. Dear God, if you give me a genie lamp like Aladdin, I'll give you anything you want except my money and my chess set. We read Thomas Edison made light, but in Sunday school, they said you did it. So I bet he stole your idea. 
Dear God, please send Dennis Clark to a different camp this year. (laughs) Or this one. Dear God, thank you for the baby brother, but what I prayed for was a puppy. (laughs) Oh, when we come to the Lord like kids, we can believe him for whatever. And you know what? The, the, The caption on that email was, even God laughed. And you know what? Sometimes he does laugh, but ask him anyway. Sometimes I'm sure he just shakes his head and goes, if you just only knew, but it's okay. It's okay. He doesn't, he doesn't go, come on, get your act together, like I, like I do, right? We think that way. But he, just, he will shake his head, maybe sometimes smile, but we still can come before him and believe him for anything. When we as Jesus followers are home, we have every reason for great expectation.